It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Recently, I have been getting an increasing number of phone calls and emails and direct messages regarding the ongoing COVID and vaccination situation in the United States um, from friends, family members, people I don't know. I've discussed this on a previous episode where Whitney and I briefly touched upon my thoughts and feelings regarding uh, strangers inquiring about our medical, personal medical decisions. Today isn't necessarily so much about that, although I thought it was a good segue for this episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable, to talk about a article and some subjects that Whitney had put in our sort of upcoming episode ideas. So for a little bit of behind the scenes, Whitney and I have a bunch of spreadsheets, all of which she has created because she is the spreadsheet queen. For those of you who don't know, Whitney is a tremendously organized human being and makes our business and our podcast run a lot more efficiently as a result of that. In one of the spreadsheets, we have ideas for topics and things we want to dig into here on the show. So today's topic is somewhat related and actually very much related to this topic of COVID vaccines and medical care. And the topic is medical racism. So it's going to be not necessarily a light episode per se as we dig into this subject. As I went down the rabbit hole of this episode, uh, rather the article that Whitney had attached in our spreadsheet, it led me down a whole series of rabbit holes of looking at medical racism, looking at racial and ethnic disparities with the treatment for COVID-19, and also understanding what has been described as vaccine hesitancy in communities of color. So there's a lot to cover today, but the first rabbit hole I went down, Whitney, that I, I want to use as a jump off point is something you link to, which is giving an overview of medical racism and, and how it persists beyond historical situations, which I do want to bring up, and that these inequalities are magnified by the circumstance of this global emergency. And it talks about how opportunities for widened healthcare coverage, but that COVID has actually increased the disparity in terms of people getting treated, people not getting treated, how COVID-19 has disproportionately affected people in lower income areas, people of color, people who are at higher risk based on their medical history and comorbidities. So the interesting thing, Whitney, I suppose, as we dive into this is something that I've also been reading about in terms of the medical care disparities with first world nations and third world countries, how places like the United States are getting more favoritism in terms of our vaccine access versus certain countries that are not as rich, don't have as high of a GDP, don't have as much access. So I think this goes beyond what we're talking about in terms of medical racism, but it also goes into sort of this ethnocentrism of people not getting access based on where they are on the planet. So I'm not even really sure where to jump off because there's so much to talk about, but I guess what I want to talk about is that 
the doctor who wrote this article, her name is Raquel Reed, and we'll link to it in the show notes at wellevator.com. Everything that we mentioned today, dear listener, will be in our transcripts and our show notes, which is at wellevator.com, podcast.wellevator.com. We'll link to all of that. But Raquel Reed, this medical doctor, talks about how there's a lot of vulnerable populations that are not getting adequate health care. She talks about impoverished, immigrant, gender diverse, disabled, and queer patients that are shunned by the medical mainstream and that the severity of the symptoms of people in these classes are tend to be higher than, you know, white cisgendered people. And she talks about that there are these oppressive structures, including racial capitalism, how there's a lack of boundaries preventing these abuses. And that there's just a tie-in between capitalism and lower-income people and people of color. And this is a lot worse of a situation than I was even aware of. So I think this ties into, Whitney, our dedication on this podcast to educate ourselves and become just more aware. I had no idea that medical racism was even a thing. So understanding this, I'm curious how deep down the rabbit hole you've gone, Whitney, on this because... Good God, there's so many things I want to bring up, but I don't want to talk for 20 minutes straight. I want to pass it back to you and ask you if you were aware of how huge this issue was and how much you've gone on the rabbit hole on, on these massive inequalities that exist in our medical system. I wasn't aware at all, and I'm very grateful for a daily newsletter that I'm subscribed to called Anti-Racism Daily. And it's really opened my eyes to a lot of things that I'm sure we'll cover on this show because... The ignorance that I had and the perspective that I'm gaining from being committed to educating myself about racism every day has, it's just become very important. And I feel like I've, I'm becoming a better ally as a result, and I'm learning how to become a better ally, which it's also opening my eyes to the amount of ignorance that other people have, because this kind of helps make sense of it all that it's not discussed that much. Like a lot of the topics that come up in that newsletter, I'm thinking, wow, I don't know anyone who's ever talked about this before. And that is a big clue. Just having the conversation, and this is why we talk about this in the podcast, and the aim of many of our episodes is to talk about the things that maybe people don't discuss because they're ignorant. Maybe it's because they're uncomfortable. Maybe they don't know how to discuss it. And being committed to becoming more aware is really important to me. So on this subject matter, I'm going to be learning as we discuss this. There's an article that is linked to within the article by Raquel from the CDC. And I actually felt surprised that the CDC even covered this. This was updated in December 2020, and it's titled COVID-19 Racial and Ethnic Health Disparities. But again, to your point, Jason, it doesn't just seem limited to COVID-19. And there's this whole section. And, and you and I did an episode, didn't we, on social determinants of health? Didn't we even have a, an episode titled that? That's right. Yeah, we, did, we actually did broadly cover this subject. And I think we're going to get maybe a little more granular on today's episode. And it's interesting because even though we covered it and it sounds familiar, I forget you know, a lot of this. And this is another thing that I've r- realized that we have to be committed to continuously educating ourselves, that our brains retain a lot of information. But if we don't talk about it regularly, if we don't take action regularly, then just like anything else, we aren't as strong. It's like speaking a language. You know, I studied French for many years, but 
if I don't speak it regularly, I'm weaker at it. It's still there under the surface. So I'm glad that we're revisiting this because the five key topics of social determinants of health, I believe, are something we already went over, but I barely even remember discussing it. And those topics are neighborhood and physical environment, health and healthcare, occupation and job conditions, income and wealth, and education. And these are things that I really want to know more about statistically as well, not to group people into statistics, but to really understand what the average person is going through. And by average person within each group. So if we're talking about racism, like what is the average person of each race struggling with right now? I think that that's a good starting place for us and not making assumptions about people based on what the averages are, but simply being more aware. And then when we think about how we can support people, I suppose it's like, how can we support the most amount of people? And that's where the averages come in as being important for me. Like, I mean, there's still so much that I'm curious about in terms of income and wealth for the average person. And what does that even mean to be average? So we have like the average American But what about within those ethnic and minority groups? And according to the CDC article, people from some, I'm glad they use the word some, racial and ethnic minority groups have lower incomes, experience barriers to wealth, and carry greater debt. That doesn't seem like news to me, but I don't really have a lot of awareness about what exactly that means. You know, and that actually is a really important matter for me, specifically the finances around all of this. And I reflect on that often because I think a lot of us get into this bubble mindset and we kind of assume that other people live like us. And it's very easy to lose sight of all the differences within our income levels. And that's why I feel like this topic is so important because when we start to make assumptions, then maybe we leave people out without even realizing that we're leaving them out. And I think since money is such an uncomfortable conversation in general, a lot of people don't speak up for themselves or they just get really angry and resentful. Who wants to see anyone left behind? But if you're not aware of what's going on, you know, especially when it comes to COVID, of course, it's going to create a lot of confusion. And of course, it's going to create a lot of gaps in which people are struggling. And you can just go about your life thinking that, oh, what you're experiencing is relatively similar to what others are experiencing. But this subject matter is reminding me that that might not be true at all. Like people might be struggling a lot, lot worse, and they might not have the ability to say yes to the things that I can say yes to. They might not have the access to it. And, you know, some of the challenges that they might be facing as outlined in the CDC is managing their expenses, paying medical bills and accessing affordable quality housing. We actually talk about this in an upcoming episode. We get into some of the homeless issues and the housing issues that people are facing. Of course, access to food is can be very different for people and reliable childcare. And these are some things that many of us take for granted. I mean, Jason, you and I have done research on who are, you know, the average person within our audience, whether that's reading our newsletter or listening to our podcast or taking our courses, like you know, first of all, I believe from statistically, most people are white, most people are women, and most people have a good amount of money. So a lot of us are in that place of privilege, really. And when you have this perspective, 
each of us, you and me included, Jason, but as well as the listener, we have to recognize that we have a privilege of having access to nutritious food. We have a privilege of having a stable housing situation. And if a listener has children, like just having access to childcare and reliable childcare is a privilege that not everybody has. And then when we tie this into COVID, like I know a lot of people were struggling with a lot of these things because, of course, nutritious food plays a big role in your health. Having housing can play a role in your health. I mean, having health, having housing plays a role in your health. And I know that was something you were thinking about a lot about, Jason, when it comes to the homeless and something that I was reflecting on, too, is like, how are they handling this? Like, it's a privilege just to wear a mask and be have access to a clean mask. But where do you put that mask at the end of the day? Are you putting it on the street? Are you putting it in some dirty container of some sort because you don't have access to clean it as regularly? I mean, I think that's something that's not talked about nearly enough is how are people handling COVID when they don't have affordable quality housing? And this, I mean, I think given that this subject matter is a lot around race, it's really disturbing to me. Like if people are being are having less access to things simply because of the color of their skin, kind of brings up a lot of strong emotions for me as a white person because I feel like, well, I don't have control over the color of my skin either, but I have all this privilege. Like what can I do to support people that don't have the privilege of being white? It's a really visceral subject because I think that there's as you detailed, Whitney, so many factors that overlap on top of each other to create this very difficult and challenging and disproportionate situation. You know, if you have people and city planners and real estate agents redlining districts, that's something I think maybe we've touched on in a previous episode where if you are in a redlined district in a city that is a low income neighborhood that has a disproportionate number of immigrants or people of color, that predatory lending practices or not allowing people to get mortgages and own their own property. There's a lot of racism in the real estate industry and how cities and counties are zoned and redlined. So if you have a redlined district that's in a low-income neighborhood, chances are it's probably in somewhat of a food desert. You know, Growing up in the city of Detroit and living in Chicago and other cities and having seen literally that these low-income neighborhoods don't have a lot of fresh produce in many cases... They don't have a lot of access to healthy food, not even organic food. A lot of these places, it's liquor stores and corner markets that has a lot of prepackaged, processed, unhealthy food. So then you have people who don't have access to affordable housing per se. They only have access to unhealthy, prepackaged, processed food. That's going to lend itself to potential comorbidities like diabetes, heart disease, atherosclerosis, arthritis. We can talk about the challenges of people in low-income situations and the different medical conditions that they have because they're eating really bad food and don't have the money to access organic healthy food. Then you have something like COVID comes in where people who have comorbidities in these neighborhoods are potentially at higher risk, right? Because they're not eating well, they're not moving their bodies, they're eating a ton of sugar. And here's my thing too, is like, when I say this, I'm definitely not going to get on the train of telling people, oh, you should eat healthier. You shouldn't have all this sugar. You shouldn't have all this processed food. For a person who's struggling to just get food on the table, care for their children, pay their rent, they're behind on their rent because of the lockdowns, to tell them, oh, you know, you should really think about eating more lettuce and more organic food. 
like I've seen people do that online and it's like, you know, that's not an appropriate response. People are doing the best that they can with the means that they have. But the point is you have someone who's in this situation eating unhealthy food with in a redlined low-income neighborhood who doesn't have access, then gets COVID, who may or may not have health insurance, and then they're socked with a medical bill for tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars after being put on a ventilator if it got to that level, if they even survived it. Then they have this giant stack of medical bills that drives them even into more debt. So to your point, Whitney, there's this stacking of prejudice. There's this stacking of economic disparity, health disparity, access to healthy food, being in a red line district, having no health insurance. It's a pretty fucked up situation. The question is, you know, what can we as people who are in a much more privileged situation do about it? I mean, I think talking about how screwed the medical system is, the lack of healthy, affordable food, not giving people affordable healthcare access. I mean, there's so many issues here. I think the thing that jumps out at me in all of this is, as I was going down this rabbit hole, Whitney, is the history of, I'm not even sure how to say this, the history of mistreatment by mainstream medical institutions toward the black community. Like That was one of the big things that really jumped out when I was researching this, is how recent studies have shown that only about half of Americans would be interested in getting a COVID vaccine. And that number is even higher in the black community. There's been actually some anti-vaccine rallies with black activists in Colorado. Council members in Washington, D.C. have cast doubts on the effectiveness of vaccines for the black community. And there's been some black celebrities like Letitia Wright, who was in the movie Black Panther, who shared an anti-vaccine video. And these attitudes, you know, interestingly, if you look at the history of how the medical mainstream has treated black people. If you look at something like, I remember learning in school about the Tuskegee syphilis study, where 600 black Americans were infected with syphilis and then not given treatment. The men in this study were actually, many of them left to go blind and have other serious health conditions manifest because the researchers wanted to track the progression of the disease. So if you are a black American who's aware of this history, it makes sense why you would have hesitancy when the medical establishment is trying to push a vaccine on you, right? But it goes deeper than that. I had no idea that the father of modern gynecology, Whitney, of, I had no idea about the origin of gynecology, period. It was a man named James Marion Sims, who was named the president of the American Medical Association in 1876 and in 1880 became the president of the American Gynecological Society, which he helped to find. Now, his research on gynecology, modern gynecology, was mostly done on enslaved black women without anesthesia. And you think about, you know, what he did on them. I mean, we're talking about, you know, he invented apparently the speculum, which is used for dilation and examination. He pioneered a surgical technique to repair vesiovaginal fistula. But the point is, he did all of his experiments first on black female slaves. And because at that time, there was a overarching thought in the medical community, Whitney, that black people didn't feel pain. Like, think about that for a moment. Surgical procedures, experiments, untested procedures done on black male and female slaves because, quote, they didn't feel pain. Like, 
that's pretty horrifying when you think about it. Now, you know, digging into the history of this gynecological experimentation, you know, there was a lot of, I suppose, good techniques that came from this, but it's horrifying to think about the children that were experimented on. It's a huge article. We'll link to it in the show notes at wellevator.com. But he essentially treated these women and these children as guinea pigs to create the system of modern gynecology. And, you know, some people in this article, it's on history.com, we're talking about, oh, well, you know, the end justifies the means. That's not history.com's perspective, but people looking at the history of modern gynecology. But I can't really get on board with that, Whitney, that if we had a history of saying that black slaves didn't feel pain, and so we can operate on them fully conscious without anesthesia, there's something about me that that it's like, that's just not right. That's horrifying. And again, we look at Tuskegee and we look at denying medical care to black Americans and it's just kind of horrifying. And I'm bringing all of this up because of the fact that black Americans have been disproportionately hit by this virus. The caseloads are disproportionately higher in, in people of color, but they're saying we don't want the vaccine because look at this history of hundreds of years of what you've done to our community, experimenting on us, testing us, doing experiments without anesthesia. It makes sense why so many black Americans would go, I don't want this vaccine. If you look at the history of the treatment of the medical establishment and black people, which I think, hey, you know, I have my own thoughts on the vaccine, which we can or cannot get into, but I can completely understand why so much of a high percentage of the black community would say, I do not want this vaccine. When you look at the historical treatment of what the medical establishment has done to them. Well, on the other hand, I just was looking at some more articles about medical racism and one that came up is titled Stop Blaming Tuskegee. It's not an excuse for current medical racism. And it's an in-depth article about how people actually make an assumption that that's why Black Americans are hesitant, but that might not actually be the case. And that history is often a scapegoat and an excuse for an explanation for why many African-Americans are hesitant, but it actually isn't necessarily the case. It could be religious beliefs, it could be safety concerns, and it could be distrust for the government. And it's really important to ask people. So I don't know if they've actually even fully understood. And just like you were saying, Jason, like each person is going to have different viewpoints on the vaccine for different reasons. And that's part of what makes this very complicated. There's a lot of things at play in terms of our individual comfort levels, in terms of history, in terms of our education, in terms of how the government is talking about it, in terms of our access. There's a lot going on with that vaccine. And, you know, I'm not going to assume that I know why a Black person would choose to, or anybody outside of myself, another white person, it doesn't matter. I don't know if the vaccine is so much of a racial issue, but I mean, it certainly is interesting statistically because, yeah, I guess statistically it says that Black Americans are more hesitant than white Americans to get the vaccine, which I didn't even know myself. So this is all news to me. And I'm really grateful for this article, which is on NPR, that goes into some more depth about it, which I haven't finished reading, but that was what I have read in the article thus far. So I think it's really important to cross-reference, just like we've talked about before, 
make sure this goes for us and this goes for the listener. Please cross reference. (laughs) Please don't make assumptions. There's so many people that lead with with their ideas and it gets perpetuated. And it's a responsibility for us on this podcast to do our best with the knowledge that we have. So that goes to you, Jason. Like I really encourage you to cross-reference things like that because I don't want us to be responsible for perpetuating some kind of cliche explanation for Black history, you know? Yeah. There's a doctor named Dr. Ruth Mahoney who's referencing the struggle to overcome these attitudes of thinking that the vaccine is bad. And to your point, it does talk about distrust of the government. It talks about, you know, the suspicions in the community of how quickly the vaccine was brought to market. So to your point, Whitney, it is a very complex discussion in terms of why people have the attitudes that they have. The thing that I wonder about in researching Again, looking at kind of the history of all of the intersections that we've been talking about of economics, lack of medical care, low-income neighborhood, lack of safe housing, lack of access to food. This is an offshoot, but I think it's related, is how are we as society going to treat moving forward people who have chosen to be vaccinated and those who have not chosen? This is a discussion I was having last night with two friends who had called me And as I said at the very beginning of this episode, I'm having a lot more conversations of people calling me out of the blue, wanting to talk about the vaccine with me. I had two people do it this week of like, hey, they texted me first. So when I say call out of the blue, that's not totally accurate. They text me out of the blue, like, what are your thoughts on the vaccine? I really respect your opinion. Can we talk about it? So I've had two more than hour long conversations this week about this subject. And one of the things that gets brought up is if you have a population In this case, we're talking about Black Americans saying there's a high percentage that don't at this time want to be vaccinated. How are we as a society going to treat people who don't want to be vaccinated in terms of access to events and sporting events, concerts, movie theaters, travel? Like we've talked about, you know, vaccine passports. And, you know, the vaccine passport thing is it's not a new, how do I say this? It's not a new concept or something that's been enforced. There's a lot of countries, in particular African countries, that if you want to enter the country, you have to get vaccinated for things like, you know, malaria, yellow fever, etc. So a vaccine passport is not a new concept, but I think the concern that I'm seeing is that, you know, people who are in communities of color, lower income communities who don't want to get the vaccine, are we going to, as society, deny them access to things they want to experience? And I'm very, very curious, Whitney, to see how far this is going to go. In New York City, they're already requiring digital vaccine validation to enter someplace like Madison Square Garden if you want to see the Knicks play. But then there's other states like Texas and Florida. Texas just had, I think, a week and a half ago, the Texas Rangers had their opening day and 50,000 people were in the stadium. So again, if we blow this out, is there going to be discrimination against people who choose not to be vaccinated? I'm very concerned about that point. I'm very concerned about discrimination and racism against people who opt out of getting a vaccine. Now, some people like this is becoming very contentious and it's becoming very contentious because I'm seeing on social media, Whitney, this virtue signaling of, yay, I got my vaccine. I did it for the common good. You should do it for the common good, too. And then I'm seeing other people who are anti-vax saying, no, fuck you. I'm not getting the vaccine. I'm not falling for like 
it's further, the issue of vaccination is further dividing people in very visceral and violent ways. But my concern is, are we going to have a society that says, yeah, you're vaccinated, you're going to have access to all these things, but everyone who didn't get a vaccine, you're kind of fucked. Like, my point is that in the conversations I had this week with friends, I said to them, at this point, I am hanging back and I'm waiting to see what happens for me. Okay, I'm waiting to see what what happens with people's health and how their bodies respond to this vaccine. And number two, I'm also waiting to see how is society going to enforce public gatherings and travel and events between vaccinated and unvaccinated people. But I am concerned, Whitney, that there's going to be a disproportionate amount of oppression and potentially more racism for people of color who do not choose to be vaccinated. Like, I'm super concerned about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel concerned about it because I feel open-minded about it. And one thing that I really liked in that NPR article that I referenced is that there's a difference between being hesitant and refusing. So I'm hesitant. I'm not refusing it. Like if something like that came up, I mean, if it's as simple as, hey, just get this vaccine and then you can do this important thing that you want to do, that to me is fine because if something's important enough... Like, it's just about a pros weighing out the cons. That's all, you know? So I suppose that I don't have any major reasons not to get the vaccine. I'm just hesitant. And I think a lot of people are in that same boat. It is fascinating. One of the points in the article is that three months into the vaccine rollout, Black people make made up. This article came out a few weeks ago. So this is fairly recent. Black people make up just... 2.9% of Californians who have received the vaccination, even though they account for 6.2% of the state's COVID deaths. And one of the reasons they suspect that is, is that the first mass vaccination sites set up in LA were at Dodger Stadium and Disneyland, and they were difficult to get to from Black neighborhoods without a car. And that's an important thing, though, is that maybe Black people as a whole are not necessarily hesitant or refusing it, is that it's just too hard to get to. And these are important. And, you know, this is why we can't make these assumptions. It's a lot about access. Just like, you know, there were so many issues with voting in this country, and a lot of them seem to be racial issues where, like, we have to take into account that not everybody has the privilege of owning a car. Not everybody has the privilege of having flexible hours. Not everybody also even has the ability to get up appointments. I mean, this article says that, I guess there's another linked article in the LA Times, that white affluent people were getting a lot of the appointments, even at clinics that were intended for hard-hit Black and Latino communities. And so that's part of the issue here coming down to racism is this whole concept of privilege that a lot of us have, myself included. I have to check myself every time I feel entitled. And I feel those moments sometimes because culturally, a lot of us, you know, people in general, right? Again, this might not even be a racial thing, but some people have a higher experience of entitlement because of the way that they're raised, because of the people that they're around, because of the experiences that they've had. And certainly I try to ask myself whenever I'm feeling entitled is like, is this coming from a place of being, you know, in a certain income bracket, being a gender? Is is this a race issue? Like, where is this entitlement coming from? Right. And that's part of my hesitancy with the vaccine too, Jason, is that 
I'm not in a position where I feel like I need it. Whereas some people are in jobs, they're being exposed in ways that I'm not. Like I have the privilege of staying home and working. Like, And I also have the privilege of a personality where I don't really care. Staying at home is not that big of a deal for me. I'm happy to do that. I would rather do that right now than get the vaccine. But some people want to socialize more and some people, based on their jobs or their lifestyle situation, their housing, there's a lot of factors where they might be around a lot more people than I am. So I feel like they should be able to get the appointments first, you know, and to this point, like, why would I take an appointment from somebody who wants it more than me? or needs it more than me. That feels silly. Now, I have heard people say, like, don't worry about it. Like, I've heard all sorts of sneaky things, Jason, and it makes me really uncomfortable that some people are using their connections to get appointments. You know, like some people have skipped the line because they knew somebody or, you know, it's like literally taking the back door to get a vaccine. And I don't know, I can't even relate to that behavior because I don't feel desperate to get the vaccine. So I'm like, it triggers me because I'm not a fan of cheating. But, you know, maybe that person was desperate for a reason that I can't relate to. Regardless, it is disturbing to see that white affluent people are taking away appointments that were intended for somebody that is of a different race and a different income bracket. And the end of this NPR article says that if we want to address this mistrust of the vaccine, it requires a paradigm shift. If you want Black people to trust doctors and trust the vaccine, don't blame them for distrusting it. The obligation is on health institutions to first show they are trustworthy, to listen, to take responsibility, to show accountability, and to stop making excuses. That means providing information about the vaccine without being paternalistic. Is that like patronizing? What does paternalistic mean? And making the vaccine easy to access. What is paternalistic? Well, paternal means fatherly, but I don't know about paternalistic. I've actually never heard that phrase before. (laughs) Let's look it up. Relating to or characterized by the restriction of the freedom and responsibilities of subordinates or dependents and their supposed interest. It is an action that limits a person or group's liberty or autonomy and is intended to promote their own good. It can imply that the behavior is against or regardless of the will of a person. So I suppose in this case... Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's you talk about people jumping the line, Whitney for people that are higher risk groups. Because what we're talking about now, we go back to what we were talking about, people in low-income neighborhoods, people with existing comorbidities, people in a higher risk based on their race, their gender, what have you. And I've also, (laughs) in my conversations with friends, interestingly, you bring this whole skipping the line issue They've made reference. It's so funny. The people I've talked to are like, yeah, I know someone. And it's like, okay, but you're a super healthy person who has access to healthy food. You live in a safe neighborhood. You're not destitute. You're not under risk of being homeless. So why do you feel the need to like leverage this quote hookup that you have to go and get the vaccine early? It's again, we go back to entitlement and we go back to privilege. And it's like, I'm not interested, to your point, Whitney, in taking someone else's spot who's in a much higher risk category 
I'm not in a risk. I'm not in a rush to get it, period. But it is fascinating how people are so, I don't know if desperate is, some people are desperate to get this vaccine so they can, quote, get back to normal life. I get that. But it's always a question of when you're jumping the line and leveraging your connections, who are you affecting as a result of that action you're taking? I mean, this really goes down to self-awareness, which we talk about all the time on this podcast of if I'm initiating an action in the world, how aware can I be of the ripple effects of that action? You know, if I jump the line and I bump someone else out and I get jabbed before they do, what effect is that having on the distribution and the availability of another person who might be much higher risk than you? So I think that's important you brought that up. And it's disturbing to me how certain people have been like, yeah, I like I had someone basically say like, yeah, I can hook you up if you need it. It's like, I don't know. I don't need it. Thank you. But I don't need it. And I want everyone else who believes they need it to get served in the way that they need to get served. But this really comes down to examining other areas of our life too, Whitney, in terms of, you know, this is totally unrelated, but but related to racism. It's unrelated, but related to racism is with the unbelievable squeeze in the housing market right now, the racial disparity in terms of people coming up and paying cash for these houses and, you know, people who are in lower income situations wanting to potentially buy a place or have access to affordable real estate. And they're just getting completely squeezed out of the market. I mean, this idea of privilege and racism and entitlement bleeds into so many aspects of our life as human beings. It really, really does. So although we're talking about medical racism, I want to continue to educate myself and become more self-aware of how my ignorance and my unconscious actions might be creating more harm than good, right? And using a vaccine appointment as just one example, I think it's important that we create awareness around the ripple effect of our day-to-day actions and how they might be affecting other people in ways that we don't even intend or understand. And speaking of understanding, plus circling back to this paternalism, if I'm pronouncing it right, I found a opinion piece on the Wall Street Journey that said that honesty is the best policy in selling vaccines. The current communication strategy is paternalistic and outdated. Public health authorities, politicians, sports heroes, and celebrities are taking to the airwaves to tout the vaccines. Protecting people from doubt is central to the strategy. That entails suppressing questions rather than answering them. Any hint about vaccine imperfections could make people apprehensive and must be avoided. Anyone who rejects the vaccine is stigmatized as foolish and irresponsible. A better approach to persuasion is to assume you're speaking to mature, self-interested decision makers, offer transparent and comprehensive information about the risks and benefits of the vaccines, and engage patients in the decision-making process. Many medical treatments require consideration of the balance between harms and benefits. Applying shared decision-making to the coronavirus vaccine requires authorities to change their mindset. Instead of pressuring patients to, quote, do the right thing, the emphasis would be an honest disclosure about what to expect. I mean, reading that, I'm like, yes, absolutely. Because right now, it is all this do the right thing mentality. And 
I don't think there is a such thing as doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? Do the right thing for who? This whole idea of like, do the right thing for your community is appealing on some levels. But if I don't trust that it's good for me, this comes down to this, like, who do you put the oxygen mask on first? If you are not comfortable like making a decision, then why should you make that decision just for the group if you're going to be potentially harmed by it mentally or physically? You know, like we got to also take in the mental health consideration of all of this because mental health certainly plays a big role in here. And I bet you that there's a lot of links between medical racism and mental health, too. And certainly mental health is a huge concern and it was heightened just under a year ago and is actually happening right now with the trials for the George Floyd yeah the George Floyd trial it's like this is bringing up a lot of really tough emotions for people about racism and i think this has been a mental health issue for most people that face racism like maybe even every day of their life And so getting this concept of doing the right thing, if a bunch of white people are telling you to do the right thing, like, of course, you might be hesitant to trust them. You know what I mean? Like, you want to make sure that you're taken seriously, that you're getting the information that you need. And for me, as a questioner, I don't say yes to things that I don't understand. Because when I have said yes to things that I don't understand, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like the right thing for me. And when I have done things just because they somebody said it's the right thing to do, I've learned the hard way that that may not and often isn't the best thing for me because I need to trust that I'm a mature person who's very, you know, intelligent. Like I got to trust my own abilities to reason. And for someone that's like, hey, I want you to let go of all of your doubts and trust me, you know, because this is the way to go. It's like completely ignoring your intuition. And I think this ties into this conversation too, Jason. It's like, if we got to trust the fact that people are hesitant, they're not refusing, they're just hesitant and they need somebody to have a detailed dialogue with them that are going to support them in making the decision. And it's not going to be about peer pressure, which ultimately a large part of this is, as you're talking about, Jason, there's a lot of peer pressure with the vaccine. And I think it's coming from a good place. I think that, you know, given that what that article was saying statistically about the number of Black people that have died from COVID, like certainly there's this idea that, hey, we're trying to protect you and other people, you know, like I get that, but it's not that simple. It's not like just take the vaccine and you're suddenly protected and everybody else is protected. It's much more complex than that. I actually think anybody who's hesitant about the vaccine They deserve to have more help in determining it. Again, if you differentiate between refusal versus hesitancy, people that are refusing have probably made up their minds already. But somebody that's hesitant, I think that's their way of saying, I need more help in determining when to get this and if I should get this. I mean, that's a complicated thing. And I think that Many people have a tendency to view hesitancy as an opportunity to pressure somebody without supporting them in the way that they actually need in order to make a decision. 100% Whitney. I'm, you articulated that so eloquently. Instead of shaming someone, acting like they're wrong, you know, I'm seeing 
a lot of shaming around the idea of personal sovereignty versus the good of the group. Like, oh, you know, sort of this subtle messaging online of like, forego your personal sovereignty and your preferences completely because this is about the good of humanity. And like intuitively, you talk about intuition, Whitney, when I start to see that messaging, my gut is like, "Mm -mm -mm, this is some shit right here where you're trying to shame me or make me feel bad for not doing it for the good of humanity. Like, I'm not shaming anyone for making that choice, but I'm seeing a lot of shame-filled messages trying to make people feel bad about being hesitant rather than, hey, here's a great article about a simple breakdown of the ingredients. Do you want to research this? Or maybe here are some good you know, research articles from trusted sources talking about the actual ingredients and what they are. Right. And there are some articles out there. Like I've actually started to do research on the difference between the Johnson and Johnson vaccine versus the Moderna and the Pfizer. Right. And at this point, I personally am more comfortable with the idea of the Johnson and Johnson one shot because it doesn't have the mRNA sequence, the genetic variant that the Moderna and the Pfizer has. Right. I'm digging into a little bit more about recombinant DNA technology and whether or not I want that in my body. But to your point, Whitney, rather than shaming people or making them feel bad for exercising their agency and their personal sovereignty and saying, I don't really know yet, you know, and again, to your point, I've had a couple friends this week that I don't, there were some weird exchanges where I'm like, I don't feel like you're shaming me, but I feel like you're kind of being a little pushy and I don't like that. Like, don't push me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's my legal right as a human being to decide what I want to do with my body. You know, I don't want you to push me. I want to do my own research. I want to wait and see and then make a decision when I feel the decision is right to be made. But to circle back to your point, Whitney, I have a friend of mine who was messaging on social media about like the celebrities to your point and the politicians and people. He's like, oh, man, they just brought out Morgan Freeman. They just brought out Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They're laying it on heavy right now, you know, of celebrities talking to the black community specifically about like, you need to go get your vaccine. And how he was saying, my friend who's black, of like that increases his distrust when he starts to see the heavy handed messaging of like, oh, you know, they brought up Morgan Freeman, who I'm supposed to trust. Morgan Freeman played God in a movie and it's Morgan Freeman. And he was just kind of going on this diatribe about like, nah, let me decide for myself. Stop pushing me with these celebrities telling me to get it. It's a very complex issue. But I think ultimately... You know what I'm pro, Whitney? I'm pro each human being deciding what is best for them and not shaming other people for their decision. That's what I am pro. I am pro each individual doing the research, deciding for themselves what is in their best interest of their mental health, their physical health, their family's health, their community's health. Make your decision and stop fucking shaming people for what decision they're making or not making. Like, I can't stand this shit anymore. And I almost am at a point where I want to have a policy. I'm getting very close where I don't want to even discuss this with people anymore. Because I'm starting to feel people pushing me to make a decision. I'm like, stop, stop it. Stop pushing me. I don't like it. I'm going to decide what I decide. And you have no right to judge me either way. Like the judgment and the shame that's happening right now. Again, we've talked about me wanting to get off social media and disconnect. But this vaccine shit is really getting me close to the edge of like, I don't want your DMs and I don't want your calls. Like I'm getting to the point where I don't want to discuss it because I don't want to be shamed for my decision. All of that being said, this is, again, an issue we want to hear your feedback on. So if you, dear listener, have a perspective, if you happen to be a person of color, we want to hear specifically 
How do you feel about this? How do you feel about the medical community pressuring you to get it? Are you pro-vax? Are you anti-vax? Are you hesitant? Are you refusing? We want to just keep the conversation going because as many episodes, these are not a full totalitarian examination of a subject. It's more Whitney and I educating ourselves, opening ourselves up and wanting you, dear listener, to weigh in with how you're feeling about it. So especially with this episode, if you want to shoot us an email, it's hello at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You can shoot us a direct email with your thoughts, your feelings. They're completely confidential. Or you can shoot us a direct message on Instagram. We get a lot of people reaching us to, out to us that way. But I want to say this. We don't want to be shamed. We don't want to be judged. We will not shame or judge you. So if you want to come at us with a direct message or an email, please make it respectful. Please make it kind. Share your story. Share your perspective. But please no shame, no judgment. We're not about that. We just want to have an open, educated discourse on how you're feeling about this. So if you want to come at us with that flavor, cool. If you want to come at us with shame and judgment, kindly don't message us. You know, there's enough of it in the world right now. We don't want to add to it. Or you will be blocked. Yeah, it's funny, Jason. I am... There's one person in particular who I I don't know if this person listens to our podcast regularly, but it's the one person that wrote us something really nasty, which I think you might remember. It was sometime last year, and I believe it was also COVID. This person is clearly very triggered by our thoughts and discussions around COVID. And I recently returned from a little road trip that I took, and I posted briefly about it on social media, simply talking about how I was going on a road trip and what I was doing to take good care of myself. And I don't even think I mentioned the word COVID. But after I posted about this, I thought maybe some people would come at me and try to shame me for taking a road trip. You know, there's a lot of shame around travel right now. And I wasn't like trying to defend myself by any means. I was just simply say, I actually was pointing some things out that I was doing regardless of travel, which is I have double masks. I love wearing my masks. <laughs> I have a really great collection of cloth masks. I'll shout out the brand Canopy Verde. I love those masks so much. I love that brand in general. And then I wear a medical mask, like the disposable kind, which you can reuse a few times from my understanding. And I wear that underneath my cloth mask and just got some great new hand sanitizer from this brand, Sani Kind, which there is a natural formulated hand sanitizer within a refillable container made from ocean plastic. It's really awesome. Love the colors, love everything about it. So I was just like using it as an opportunity to shout out those two brands and expected maybe some people would question me traveling. But instead, I got the exact opposite where this person completely rudely, from my perspective, shamed me for for believing in COVID. <laughs> I don't even remember ex the exact words that were used. The, Dr. Fauci was brought up and this person actually said that COVID wasn't real. And, you know, I believed everything Dr. Fauci said. And I'm like, where is this person getting all this information and assumptions from about me? And I blocked them. And, and I thought to myself, that is not communication that I do not tolerate. This bombardment of assumptions about me that are negative and just the energy behind it from my reception point was that this not somebody that I feel like is trying to engage in a respectful dialogue with me. And thus, that's why they are blocked. And I still feel uncomfortable about blocking people because I don't want to 
I'm not trying to keep myself in some protective bubble, but I think to your point, Jason, like if somebody wants to come with me with a different opinion, play devil's advocate, share their different viewpoints, fine. But I think we need to each really work on our communication. And I believe deep down, even that person that doesn't have a communication method that works for me and something that resonates for me, because it feels like an attack, you know, and I'm blocking attacks because energetically they drain me. They don't elevate me. I don't think they elevate the other person. I don't want to reward that behavior with a response or reward that behavior with the opportunity to do it again, right? And I think this person is looking for an outlet for their feelings. And I, I have compassion for that. To wrap up this conversation, I think, as I said earlier, people are coming at COVID and experiencing COVID from a lot of different perspectives. Some people don't believe it. And that's part of the group that refuses to get the vaccine, Jason. Like some people truly do not believe COVID is real. Some people truly believe it's a hoax. They feel like they're being manipulated. And you know what? I can't relate to that. And I am fine. Like, it's okay. I understand that that person exists in the same world that I live in. It's like, I think there's a difference, Jason, between like being accepting and understanding and trying to like live in a world where there's room for everybody and a lot of different beliefs and a lot of different experience. Like there's so much going on. But personally, I don't tolerate disrespect. I don't tolerate attacks. I don't tolerate rude behavior. I don't tolerate someone yelling at me, name calling, bullying, harassment of any type and shaming like you were saying too. I just don't tolerate it. It doesn't in my belief system add up to anything good. But if that same person wants to come and find a way to respectfully communicate, find a way to talk with words that don't evoke shame and truly come at it as, hey, we don't need to, I mean, I guess it's kind of agree to disagree, but hey, we're two people with different belief systems. We have things in common. I respect you. You respect me. Like, let's coexist and have a, a kind conversation about this. Like, that's the ideal. So to your point, Jason, like if that person, because again, I know this person has listened to at least one of our episodes. If that person's a regular listener, they might quote hate listen, you know, they might never make it to the end of this episode because we triggered them so much, but maybe they do. And this message is for them or anyone else who completely disagrees with us that we are okay with that. And as you said if, a little while ago, Jason, like we actually strive to have conversations with more people that don't fully agree with us. And people that are very different, actually, it's important for us to speak to people who are different than us. Because if we don't do that, then we stay in a bubble, then we stay, we go through life with the blinders on. And I think that's a good way to end this episode because being white people, there's a lot that we will never understand about the non-white experience in life. Just like you will never understand, Jason, what it means to be a woman. And I don't understand what it means to be a man. And you know, there's so many differences between us as human beings. And I don't want to stay in a bubble. And I want to find ways to support people who are different than me if they're interested in my support, ultimately. And to that point, I really encourage for you, the listener, if you're looking for more ways to work on racism, I really encourage you to sign up for the Anti-Racism Daily Newsletter. That's my favorite resource right now. If you have another resource that you recommend for me and Jason, 
please send it our way because we do love reading these articles. And a lot of the times we find them through quick searches. So we're only skimming the surface. You know, if there's more on the subject matter that you've come across, please send it our way. You can tweet it to us. You can message us, as Jason said, direct message, email. There's a lot of different ways to get in touch. All of our, our usernames collectively are under Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. So at Wellevator on all these different platforms. We each have our individual accounts, at Whit Lauritsen for me, at Jason Robel for Jason. We have our email. And you did say, Jason, that we keep things confidential, certainly. But sometimes we take inspiration from your email. So if there's ever anything that you don't want us to publicly spin off of or you're very concerned, please just make that ultra clear in your communication because we don't want to do any disrespect to you if we end up doing an episode or something that's based on something that you said. Certainly, we will always leave your name out unless you give us explicit permission to use your name. (laughs) But But sometimes your emails, your messages do inspire us because you bring up points that we may not have discussed before. And there might be things that we've never even thought of before. So we really welcome that. And we are so grateful for you as a listener. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you considering all these different ideas, whether you agree with them or not. And we would love to hear from you soon. We'll be back with another episode in just a few days. We release new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We now have most of our episodes up on YouTube. So if you're not already watching the YouTube channel, please go check it out. We do not have the URL secured yet, but you can just type in this might get uncomfortable and you will find the show or you can go to our show notes to see the episodes. They are embedded within every single transcript at wellevator.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you very soon. Until then, all the very best with you and your exploration on topics like racism and the vaccines. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 